0: Day 3 of Totus Tuus' Novena, with quotes from John Paul II's Encyclical, Fides et Ratio. Sacred Scripture indicates with remarkably clear cues how deeply related are the knowledge conferred by faith and the knowledge conferred by reason. And it is in the wisdom literature that this relationship is addressed most explicitly. What is striking about these Biblical texts, if they are read without prejudice, is that they embody not only the faith of Israel, but also the treasury of cultures and civilizations which have long vanished. As if by special design, the voices of Egypt and Mesopotamia sound again, and certain features common to the cultures of the ancient Near East come to life in these pages, which are so singularly rich in deep intuition. It is no accident that when the Sacred Author comes to describe the wise man, he portrays him as one who loves and seeks the truth. Happy the man who meditates on wisdom and reasons intelligently, who reflects in his heart on her ways and ponders her secrets. He pursues her like a hunter and lies in wait on her paths. He peers through her windows and listens at her doors. He camps near her house, and fastens his tent peg to her walls. He pitches his tent near her, and so finds an excellent resting place. He places his children under her protection, and lodges under her boughs. By her, he is sheltered from the heat, and he dwells in the shade of her glory. For the inspired writer, as we see, The desire for knowledge is characteristic of all people. Intelligence enables everyone, believer and non-believer, to reach the deep waters of knowledge. It is true that ancient Israel did not come to knowledge of the world and its phenomena by way of abstraction, as did the Greek philosopher or the Egyptian sage. Still less did the good Israelite understand knowledge in the way of the modern world, which tends more to distinguish different kinds of knowing. Nonetheless, the biblical world has made its own distinctive contribution to the theory of knowledge. What is distinctive in the biblical text is the conviction that there is a profound and indissoluble unity between the knowledge of reason and the knowledge of faith. The world and all that happens within it, including history and the fate of peoples, are realities to be observed, analysed, and assessed with all the resources of reason, but without faith ever being foreign to the process. Faith intervenes not to abolish reason's autonomy, nor to reduce its scope for action, but solely to bring the human being to understand that in these events it is the God of Israel who acts. Thus the world and the events of history cannot be understood in depth without professing faith in the God who is at work in them. Faith sharpens the inner eye, opening the mind to discover in the flux of events the workings of providence. Here the words of the Book of Proverbs are pertinent. The human mind plans the way, but the Lord directs the steps. This is to say that with the light of reason, human beings can know which path to take, but they can follow that path to its end quickly and unhindered, only if, with a rightly tuned spirit, they search for it within the horizon of faith. Therefore, reason and faith cannot be separated without diminishing the capacity of men and women to know themselves, the world, and God in an appropriate way. There is thus no reason for competition of any kind between reason and faith. Each contains the other, and each has its own scope for action. Again, the book of Proverbs points in this direction when it exclaims, It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. In their respective worlds, God and the human being are set within a unique relationship. In God there lies the origin of all things. In Him is found the fullness of the mystery. And in this His glory consists. To men and women there falls the task of exploring truth with their reason. And in this their nobility consists. The psalmist adds one final piece to this mosaic when he says in prayer, How deep to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I try to count them, they are more than the sand. If I come to the end, I am still with you. The desire for knowledge is so great, and it works in such a way that the human heart, despite its experience of insurmountable limitation, yearns for the infinite riches which lie beyond, knowing that there is to be found the satisfying answer to every question as yet unanswered. We may say then that Israel, with her reflection, was able to open to reason the path that leads to the mystery. With the revelation of God, Israel could plumb the depths of all that she sought in vain to reach by way of reason. On the basis of this deeper form of knowledge, the chosen people understood that if reason were to be fully true to itself, then it must respect certain basic rules. The first of these is that reason must realize that human knowledge is a journey which allows no rest. The second stems from the awareness that such a path is not for the proud, who think that everything is the fruit of personal conquest. A third rule is grounded in the fear of God. whose transcendent sovereignty and provident love in the governance of the world, reason must recognize. In abandoning these rules, the human being runs the risk of failure and ends up in the condition of the fool. For the Bible, in this foolishness there lies a threat to life. The fool thinks that he knows many things, but really he is incapable of fixing his gaze on the things that truly matter. Therefore, he can neither order his mind nor assume a correct attitude to himself or to the world around him. And so when he claims that God does not exist, he shows with absolute clarity just how deficient his knowledge is and just how far he is from the full truth of things, their origin and their destiny. The Book of Wisdom contains several important texts which cast further light on this theme. There, the sacred author speaks of God, who reveals himself in nature. For the ancients, the study of the natural sciences coincided in large part with philosophical learning. Having affirmed that with their intelligence, human beings can know the structure of the world and the activity of the elements, the cycles of the year and the constellations of the stars, the natures of animals and the tempers of wild beasts, in a word that he can philosophize. The sacred text takes a significant step forward. Making his own the thought of Greek philosophy, to which he seems to refer in the context, the author affirms that in reasoning about nature, the human being can rise to God. From the greatness and beauty of created things comes a corresponding perception of their Creator. This is to recognize as a first stage of divine revelation the marvelous book of nature, which, when read with the proper tools of human reason, can lead to knowledge of the Creator. If human beings with their intelligence fail to recognize God as Creator of all, it is not because they lack the means to do so, but because their free will and their sinfulness place an impediment in the way. Seen in this light, reason is valued without being overvalued. The results of reasoning may in fact be true, but these results acquire their true meaning only if they are set within the larger horizon of faith. All man's steps are ordered by the Lord. How then can man understand his own ways? For the Old Testament, then, faith liberates reason so far as it allows reason to attain correctly what it seeks to know and to place it within the ultimate order of things, in which everything acquires true meaning. In brief, human beings attain truth by way of reason because, enlightened by faith, they discover the deeper meaning of all things and most especially of their own existence Rightly, therefore, the sacred author identifies the fear of God as the beginning of true knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. For the Old Testament, knowledge is not simply a matter of careful observation of the human being, of the world and of history, but supposes as well an indispensable link with faith and with what has been revealed. These are the challenges which the chosen people had to confront and to which they had to respond. Pondering this as his situation, biblical man discovered that he could understand himself only as being in relation, with himself, with people, with the world and with God. This opening to the mystery, which came to him through revelation, was for him in the end the source of true knowledge. It was this which allowed his reason to enter the realm of the infinite, where an understanding for which, until then, he had not dared to hope, became a possibility. For the sacred author, the task of searching for the truth was not without the strain which comes once the limits of reason are reached. This is what we find, for example, when the book of Proverbs notes the weariness which comes from the effort to understand the mysterious designs of God. Yet, for all the toil involved, believers do not surrender. They can continue on their way to the truth because they are certain that God has created them, explorers, whose mission it is to leave no stone unturned, though the temptation to doubt is always there leaning on God, they continue to reach out, always and everywhere, for all that is beautiful, good, and true. In the first chapter of his letter to the Romans, St. Paul helps us to appreciate better the depth of insight of the wisdom literature's reflection. Developing a philosophical argument in popular language, the Apostle declares a profound truth through all that is created, the eyes of the mind can come to know God. Through the medium of creatures, God stirs in reason an intuition of his power and his divinity. This is to concede to human reason a capacity which seems almost to surpass its natural limitations. Not only is it not restricted to sensory knowledge from the moment that it can reflect critically upon the data of the senses but, by discoursing on the data provided by the senses, reason can reach the cause which lies at the origin of all perceptible reality. In philosophical terms, we could say that this important Pauline text affirms the human capacity for metaphysical inquiry. According to the Apostle, it was part of the original plan of creation that reason should without difficulty reach beyond the sensory data to the origin of all things, the Creator. But because of the disobedience by which man and woman chose to set themselves in full and absolute autonomy in relation to the One who had created them, this ready access to God the Creator diminished. This is the human condition vividly described by the book of Genesis when it tells us that God placed the human being in the Garden of Eden, in the middle of which there stood the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The symbol is clear. Man was in no position to discern and decide for himself what was good and what was evil, but was constrained to appeal to a higher source. The blindness of pride deceived our first parents into thinking themselves sovereign and autonomous and into thinking that they could ignore the knowledge which comes from God. All men and women were caught up in this primal disobedience, which so wounded reason that from then on its path to full truth would be strewn with obstacles. From that time onwards, the human capacity to know the truth was impaired by an aversion to the one who is the source and origin of truth. It is again the Apostle, who reveals just how far human thinking, because of sin, became empty, and human reasoning became distorted and inclined to falsehood. The eyes of the mind were no longer able to see clearly. Reason became more and more a prisoner to itself. The coming of Christ was the saving event which redeemed reason from its weakness, setting it free from the shackles in which it had imprisoned itself. This is why the Christian's relationship to philosophy requires thoroughgoing discernment. In the New Testament, especially in the letters of St. Paul, one thing emerges with great clarity the opposition between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The depth of revealed wisdom disrupts the cycle of our habitual patterns of thought which are in no way able to express that wisdom in its fullness. The beginning of the first letter to the Corinthians poses the dilemma in a radical way. The crucified Son of God is the historic event upon which every attempt of the mind to construct an adequate explanation of the meaning of existence upon merely human argumentation comes to grief. The true key point which challenges every philosophy, is Jesus Christ's death on the cross. It is here that every attempt to reduce the Father's saving plan to purely human logic is doomed to failure. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the learned? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? The apostle asks emphatically, The wisdom of the wise is no longer enough for what God wants to accomplish. What is required is a decisive step towards welcoming something radically new. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are. Human wisdom refuses to see in its own weakness the possibility of its strength. Yet St. Paul is quick to affirm, When I am weak, then I am strong. Man cannot grasp how death could be the source of life and love. Yet to reveal the mystery of his saving plan, God has chosen precisely that which reason considers foolishness and a scandal. Adopting the language of the philosophers of his time, Paul comes to the summit of his teaching as he speaks of the paradox. God has chosen in the world that which is nothing, to reduce to nothing things that are. In order to express the gratuitous nature of the love revealed in the cross of Christ, the apostle is not afraid to use the most radical language of the philosophers in their thinking about God. Reason cannot eliminate the mystery of love which the cross represents, while the cross can give to reason the ultimate answer which it seeks. It is not the wisdom of words, but the word of wisdom, which St. Paul offers as the criterion of both truth and salvation. The wisdom of the cross, therefore, breaks free of all cultural limitations which seek to contain it and insists upon an openness to the universality of the truth which it bears. What a challenge this is to our reason and how great the gain for reason if it yields to this wisdom. Of itself, philosophy is able to recognize the human beings ceaselessly self-transcendent orientation towards the truth and with the assistance of faith it is capable of accepting the foolishness of the cross, as the authentic critique of those who delude themselves that they possess the truth, when in fact they run it aground on the shoulders of a system of their own devising. The preaching of Christ crucified and risen is the reef upon which the link between faith and philosophy can break up, but it is also the reef beyond which the two can set forth upon the boundless ocean of truth. Here we see not only the border between reason and faith, but also the space where the two may meet. Let us pray. Grant me, O Lord my God, a mind to know you, a heart to seek you, wisdom to find you, Conduct pleasing to you, faithful perseverance in waiting for you, and a hope of finally embracing you. Mary, seat of wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.